Hey, the last time I preached, I got to finish a sermon series. Uh, This morning, I have the uh, privilege to begin one. Today, we start a four-week series, like you just saw, on an introduction to wisdom. And so, um, as a teaching team, we're really excited about this. We are uh, looking forward to preaching through these next several weeks. And our hope and prayer um, for you is that over these next several sermons and over these next several weeks, that you will see something of the comfort and the joy and the peace and the hope and the wisdom that only God can give. Because we always need that, but we especially need it now in what we're all walking through and what we're all facing. So that's our hope and prayer. Um, So if you're joining us online, a special welcome to you wherever you are. We're honored that you would spend Sunday morning with us uh, in your living room or wherever you might be. And for those of you here, welcome. It's always good to see you. Let's turn in our Bibles now to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we'll look at verse 89 through 112. Robert asked me, he said, uh, he said when, when I told him I was preaching 119, he said, you're not going to do every verse, are you? He said, no, I'm not going to do every verse. There's, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, um, so we're not going to do that. Um, 119, 89 through 112. Um, and while you're turning there, I, I want to tell you, this sermon, uh, I struggled with it more than I normally do when I was preparing. I, I just, just in terms of, of sitting down and writing it, um, sitting down and, and preparing it and going through the research and, and the actual writing process, uh, I just found myself stymied and kind of running up against a brick wall. And I was like, why is this so hard to write? Why, is it, why, why am I having such a hard time with this sermon? And then I ran across a quote from Augustine, and that's Augustine if you didn't go to seminary, who, who, when I realized he, when he wrote on the Psalms and when he taught on the Psalms, he always skipped Psalm 119. And he said, here's what Augustine said about the 119th Psalm. He said, as often as I begin, began to reflect upon it, it always exceeded the stretch of my powers. So that encouraged me because I'm certainly not Augustine. Um, and so while he had the, the, the benefit of just kind of skipping over Psalm 119, I, I'm, I'm going to preach it this morning. And so um, it's a difficult psalm. It's a long psalm. It's a weighty psalm. It runs the gamut from all of human emotion, from joy to anger to frustration to rage to praise to advice to wisdom. We don't know who wrote it. Um, it could have been David, it could have been one of the other psalmists that many psalms are attributed to, Asaph or, or, or someone. could have been a conglomeration of, of, of psalmists. So for our purposes today, we're just going to say that the author is the psalmist. That's a safe way to do that. Um, but I want to I look at this psalm, and I want to look at a couple ways that, reasons why it's wise for us to love Scripture. And so with that as a background, I, I don't typically pray immediately before I preach, but I think it'd be a good thing for us to do this morning. So let's, pr- let's, let's pause briefly, and let's ask the Lord to help us as we go into Psalm 119. Father, thank you for the time that we have in your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom that your word gives us and brings us. And Lord, so as we go into this longest, greatest, heaviest psalm, Lord, I pray that you let us see what we do not see. Give us what we don't have. Teach us what we don't know. Open our eyes and our hearts to hear from you and receive your word. Make the book live to us this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I feel better. You guys feel better? You ready? All right, Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed 
in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it's ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I gain understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I've sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. This is God's word. In 2020, it should be obvious that life can change in an instant. A a virus out of nowhere shuts down the world. A single event creates months of violence and unrest and soul-searching. A phone call from a doctor changes our reality and our future immediately. So much can change so fast. So much is fluid and seemingly unstable. So much is unknowable and seemingly uncertain. So then, what can we anchor ourselves to? Is there anything constant? Is the, does anything last and remain unchanged throughout anything that life can throw at us? Can anything make us wise? Is there anything that can light our path? Well, here's the first thing to see from Psalm 119. It's wise to trust Scripture. It's wise to love Scripture because Scripture is firmly fixed and along with it, our hope. Forever, O Lord, your word is in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth. It stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day. For all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts. For by them, you have given me life. I'm yours. Save me. I've sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me. But I consider your testimonies. I've seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. So in the verses before these... The psalmist is talking about his, his being afflicted by the wicked. His life is unsettled. He's in turmoil. He's in distress. He's confused. He's frustrated. Verse 87 says that his enemies have almost made an end of him on earth. In verse 88, he's begging the Lord to give him life and save him. If you're not there already in this year, have you ever been there? 
where your circumstances make it hard to feel like you can even breathe, like your very life is being taken from you. Well, there is hope. There is a constant. There is something that lasts and doesn't change, and the psalmist is calling our attention to it in verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is fixed in the heavens. And here's what that means. Here's why that's such good news. Here's why it's wise for us to trust and love the Scriptures. Because from heaven, God rules over all things, and His word is over and above everything. There will never be a time or a place where the authoritative and established word of God is silenced or thwarted. It's firmly fixed in the heavens where God himself rules. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, captures this in Isaiah 55 when he writes, For as the rain and the snow come down from the mountain and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. That's what gives the psalmist in Psalm 119 the enduring confidence to say that even in the middle of calamity, even in the middle of frustration, even in the middle of confusion, in the middle of pain, in the middle of uncertainty, that God's faithfulness endures to all generations because his word is firmly fixed in the heavens. So then, as circumstances change and so much is constantly in flux, as things seem so uncertain and it seems so much is up in the air and open to chance and just come what may, verse 89 tells us they are not. God's word is firmly fixed in the heavens. That means that God's judgments and God's decrees that maintain order in the entirety of the cosmos also provide order in the course of our human lives as well. Say that again. God's judgments and God's decrees that maintain order in the cosmos also provide order in the course of our human lives as well. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus himself is upholding the entirety of the universe by the very word of his power. As such, there are no accidents, there are no chances We're not victims of circumstance because God orders and decrees the the way that every detail of history plays out. Even presidential elections, even pandemics, even civil unrest. And would we want it any other way? Could we endure a universe? Would we even want to live in a universe or in a world where God is a bystander, where he's clueless and reactionary? Could we endure the brutality of this world with an impotent or uninvolved God? No. We would, we would self-destruct. So then, let us believe in the God who determines 
our appointed times in history and whose word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Let us love and trust the God whose word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing and dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let us love and trust the God whose word is firmly fixed in the heavens. His word is constant. His word is eternal, unchanging, not subject to the fickleness of this world. In his word, we have hope, we have joy, we have abundance, we have peace, we have wisdom. We can trust it, and it's wise to do so. But what then about suffering? What about pain? What about loss? What about egregious and gratuitous evil? Is it still wise to love and trust that scriptures, Scripture is God's word, fixed in the heavens, and it's doing all that he desires it to do? Yes. Look what the psalmist does in verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I've seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. The very fact that God's word is fixed was the psalmist's delight in life and what gave him the strength to keep going. His afflictions were great, but God's word was greater. The fact that God's word is true and trustworthy, authoritative and active, outweighed the psalmist's afflictions. Now, That is not at all to downplay the seriousness of whatever afflictions the psalmist faced. That's not to downplay the suffering and the pain and the frustration and the loss that we feel. That's not to minimize anything. The psalmist himself says that he would have perished had it not been for the delight he had in God's word. Here's what delighting in God's word doesn't do. It doesn't mean that if we love God's word that we're spared from suffering It doesn't mean that we're given answers why. No one gets out of life alive. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It doesn't mean that we escape hardship. And I know this because several people in the pages of the Bible and in church history and in world history who were very godly had things go very badly for them. So we're not spared suffering because we love the Scriptures. But it does mean loving the Scriptures and treasuring the Scriptures and trusting the Scriptures and trusting what God has said in His Word. It does mean this. It does mean that in trouble and in suffering and in loss and through evil, we have an anchor and a hope that cannot be moved. God's Word is fixed in the heavens. And as such, it will prepare us for and sustain us in our suffering. Kind of an obscure theologian, Michael Wilcock, puts it this way. He says, The word that directs both the structure of the universe and the process of history is the same word that preserves and sustains the Lord's servant. It does not save him out of a world vexed by scoundrels but it does save him in it. Do you love Scripture that way? Do you find your hope there? Do you 
trust it enough to stake your very life on the claims of the Bible. Because God's word is reliable, the psalmist knew that God would complete his work in him no matter what. And there was hope for the psalmist there in God's word. And there's hope for you there too. If there was any stability to be found in this world, God's word far transcends it with an eternal stability. A stability that is firmly fixed in the heavens, that endures, that offers hope that we can trust. That's what God's word has for us. That's why it's wise to trust God's word. Now, just by way of explanation, look at that really weird looking sentence in verse 96. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Now, this is essentially just by by way of explanation. This is essentially just the psalmist saying that there's a limit to everything that the world has, but God's word is boundless. It echoes the end of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon writes, This is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, and with it every secret thing, whether good or evil. So why is it wise to love and trust the Scriptures? Because they never fail. Because God's Word towers over all of history and all of human circumstance, leaving nothing to chance. Because the Scriptures give us hope in life and death and because they are firmly fixed. Next, it's wise to love Scripture. There's a weird construct of a sentence, but bear with me. It's wise to love Scriptures, the Scriptures, because Scripture makes us wise. Look at verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I gain understanding, and I hate every false way. What does it mean to be wise? Well, it's it's more than just being smart and knowing a lot of Bible facts. There's nothing in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, that is for our information only. Every word of Scripture from the very beginning to the very end, it is, it is doing something. It's teaching us something about who God is. We have in the Bible, in the pages of the Bible, maybe one day we'll do a class on how we got the Bible so we can love it more. I might offer to teach that if it's available. We have in the Bible everything that God intended to communicate to us about himself and how we relate to him, and what he has done for us. So then, being made wise by Scripture, is Scripture itself showing us who God is. That's it. Being made wise by Scripture is Scripture itself showing us who God is. Paul tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Jesus himself told us that not one word of Scripture will pass away. That means that what God wrote through a human author 4,000 years ago in Leviticus is every bit as true and useful and and applicable as John 3.16. 
Look then how the psalmist talks about his love for God's word. He loves it. He, he, there's an affection for it. He meditates on it. He gains understanding and knowledge from it. Uh, uh, he, he, he understands more of God from it. He uses it to keep him from following an evil path. And he, it's sweet to him and he treasures it. It's not just this, this book of sayings. It's this active, meaningful thing in his life that guides him throughout everything life can throw at him. To where if he didn't have that, then his afflictions would have caused him to perish. Now here's what's unwise. It's unwise to try to manufacture this kind of love and adoration and reverence for Scripture as some sort of duty or moral act of obligation. That will exhaust us. It wears us out. There's no sweetness, no joy, no life when we just try to white-knuckle our way into this type of reverence and love and trust for the Bible. Rather, when we read the Bible and we meet God and we see God for who He is and what He has done, then the way that the psalmist describes Scripture becomes our experience. We look forward to meeting with God in its pages because it's not this task we go to it for life itself. So, so how do we gain this kind of understanding and wisdom and reverence for Scripture? How do we read the Bible and have a meaningful experience with God? Because if I'm honest, there are some parts of the Bible that are really, really hard to make sense of. Real talk, right? Anybody this morning or this week get a cup of coffee and flip open the Bible to the book of Nahum? And read it and say, man, I've got this reverence for Scripture now. And now I feel like I'm wise to take on anything that the world can throw at me. Anybody? No, I didn't do that either. If we believe then, and if we believe though, that God's Word is useful and that Scripture is powerful and useful, if we believe God's Word is fixed in the heavens... If we believe God's word is eternal, and it's how God himself has told us about himself, that's a redundant sentence, then we can ask God for help. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come understanding. In Luke 24, Jesus is the one, Jesus himself is the one, who opens the eyes of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he explains to them how all of the scriptures from the, from the law and the prophets and the writings talk about him. If there's one sermon, when we get to heaven or the new earth or, and I get to see Jesus face to face, if there's one sermon I want to hear him preach, I want to say, Jesus, the sermon you preached to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, please preach that to me. I want to hear how every word of scripture talks about you. John 16, 13 says that the Holy Spirit will guide us in all truth. 2 Timothy 2, 7 says that the Lord will give us understanding. So how do we understand the scriptures? We pray and we ask God to help us. And because God wants us to know him, he will. As scripture begins to make us wise then, several things begin to happen. First, the scriptures cause us to delight, uh, the, the scriptures cause us to delight in God. 
That's why the psalmist can say that God's words are sweet to him and that he loves them. Obeying God's law isn't this laborious or exhausting task, but rather it's this pleasant, life-giving experience because it's where we get to hear from God himself. One of my favorite preachers says, if you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear God speak out loud, read it out loud. Next, scripture keeps our, it, it, the scriptures keep our minds oriented towards God. In verse 97, the psalmist says that he meditates on God's word all the day. In the same way, God's word being fixed in the heavens takes our mind off the temporal circumstances that surround us. Meditating on God's word relocates our thoughts heavenward where eternal matters outweigh our present circumstances. Do we really need more 24-hour news cycles or incessant social media feeds talking, us, talking to us about virus spikes and election results and political and civil unrest? That's not saying we shouldn't be aware of those things, but if that's all we're feeding ourselves, if that's the only thing that goes into our head and into our heart and ultimately into our soul, if the first thing we do every morning is check our phone for the latest headline, and then we do it at breakfast, and then we do it on the way to work, and then we do it when we get to work, and then we just we continually, incessantly feed ourselves this, and we never take a break, and we never consider the things of God, and we never get alone with his word, and we never read, and we never ask him to help us understand, and we never let him teach us who he is, and what he has done, and how we relate to him, if we never get our minds off what is right in front of us, and instead reorient our focus on the things above, on the things of heaven, it is just going to crush our soul. The depressing, crushing weight of despair will overtake you. Therefore, we set our minds on things above where Christ is seated in the heavenly realms. Next thing that begins to happen when the scriptures begin to make us wise, we, they, they begin to equip us. Paul, of course, says that explicitly in 2 Timothy 3 where he says that all of scriptures, we read that, and then the next verse he says, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But look what the psalmist says about being wiser than his enemies and having more understanding than his teachers. God himself, through his word, equips us with wisdom. Now, Psalm 119 isn't saying that teachers don't matter or that we don't need them. Teachers are of great value. They're they're extremely important. Listen to good teachers. Seek them out. But it's the wisdom of God that is to be pursued the most. The Puritan, you guys know I love the Puritan. I was talking with Wesley Mockby this morning. He mentioned, he heard a Puritan's name and thought of me and was like, oh man. And I'm quoting a Puritan in my sermon this morning. I love the Puritans. Thomas Manton, the English Puritan, who's the best kind of Puritan, the English Puritans. Who, by the way, Augustine didn't touch Psalm 119. He was intimidated by it. Thomas Manton preached 190 sermons out of Psalm 119 throughout his ministry. Reason 975 to love the Puritans. Thomas Manton said, in, in relation to this passage, he said that enemies excel in policy, teachers excel in doctrine, the aged excel in counsel, but an ordinary believer who knows the word is better equipped than the clever learned or experienced person who does not. 
The scriptures also, as they begin to make us wise, the scriptures also direct us in obedience. They keep us from turning to evil ways. And they are our plumb line for right and wrong. That's verse 101 and 102. And then finally, the scriptures give us understanding about God. Remember, the Bible is a book about God. So the scriptures draw our minds to God through his precepts, the psalmist says. Through your precepts, I gain understanding. So through God's precepts, we gain understanding of God. So it's wise to love the scriptures because they make us wise. In the pages of the Bible is where we meet God. It's a book by God through human authors about God so that we can know God. And knowing and fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. Finally, it's wise to love the scriptures because scripture is the lamp that lights our path. Look at verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I've sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. What is the psalmist talking about here? Is he talking about how the Bible just kind of helps him make good decisions? Or how it just kind of helps him choose well? Is he talking about how Scripture holds the answers and wisdom to everyday situations that he can't seem to figure out on his own? Now, certainly the Bible can help us with these kinds of things. Certainly it's wise for us to consult the Bible when we don't know what to do, but the psalmist is getting at something much bigger here. Scripture isn't just a quick reference guide. It, it, one of the things that drives me, lots of things drive me crazy when I hear preaching and teaching that isn't correct, but one of the things that bothers me the most is when I hear the Bible talked about it's, it's our owner's manual for life. No, it's not. The Bible is not a manual or a, 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 for life or a collection of platitudes to make us feel better. It's not this quick reference guide that we can just go to, oh, well, you know, I need to know what to do with my job, so I guess I'll go over here and look at this one. Okay, I'll, I'll take that advice today. That's fine. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is a book that attests to who God is and what he has done. Ultimately, then, the path that the scriptures light up for us leads us to Jesus. And we'll never get there on our own. We will never get there on our own. Unless God's word lights our path, our existence, Ephesians 2, is shrouded in darkness. On our own, we can't and we won't do anything but miserably wander in every direction but the right direction. Again, like Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray and each of us have turned to his own way. And that way, our way, leads to nothing but tragedy. Here then is why the psalmist says in verse 106 that he has sworn an oath 
to keep God's righteous rules. Because without the light coming from God's word, we are prone to the judgments of our own hearts. What's your baseline for judgment? How do you assess what's right and wrong? And we hear so much today, we've, we've heard about it for years, but it, it, it just seems to intensify as time goes forward. Trust your heart. Believe in yourself. Be true to yourself. Follow your instincts. But the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. And that's why the psalmist here in 119 keeps using phrases like, I do not forget your law. I do not stray from your precepts. I incline my heart to your statutes. He's learned to tether himself to the word of God so that he won't lose his way. So that he can stay close to God. So that he can have life. And that's exactly what Jesus offers us. That's why the the light of Scripture brings us to Jesus because that's what Jesus offers us. He offers us life and life abundantly. That's what he has for us. That's what he has for you right here, right now. He offers to meet us right where we are and light our path. He will bind our hearts to his and show us his character and his nature through his word. Scripture is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The Scriptures are our heritage forever and the joy of our heart because they are where we encounter Jesus. Therefore, we don't worship the book. We worship the God of the book. Real wisdom is the light of Scripture leading us to Jesus. So love the Scriptures. Love them because they're fixed in the heavens and immovable and secure. Love them because they make us wise to understand the things of God. Love them because they light our path and show us Jesus. It's wise to love the Bible because it's ultimately a book about Jesus. That's what he himself said about the Bible. That's the, that the entirety of the law bears witness to him. When Jesus stood in the synagogue and opened the scroll and said, he read from Isaiah and he said, today in your hearing, these words have been fulfilled. He's saying the Old Testament is about me. And then the New Testament attests to what he, who, who, how he came, who he is, what he has done and what he is doing now and what he's getting ready for us. So do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to know him? Do you want to trust him? Do that in the pages of God's word. For they're sweeter than honey and a light for our path. I invite the band up as I pray. Lord, we are in awe of your word. Um, We thank you for all the things that you've given us. We thank you for um, lighting our path in the pages of your word. Thank you for communicating in your word, Lord, um, who you are and what you've done and how we can come to you. Lord, let us see you. Let us follow you. 
Give us wisdom as we read and study and encounter you in the pages of Scripture. Go with us now as we go into the rest of our weekend and our, and our week. Give us wisdom, Lord. Help us to love your word. Make them sweeter than honey to our mouth. In Jesus' name, amen.